This is Stag Symposium, and uh, I'm Dan McMahon, and I'm here with Mike Tomey, and we're going to talk a little bit today about teaching, and thought you might be interested in knowing how we chose the name. DeMath is the Stags, and a symposium is historically a drinking party where people would gather to discuss a topic, and undoubtedly the most famous one is Plato's Symposium, a dialogue that both Mike and I uh, really uh adore, and its topic is love. And uh, while you all are going to have to supply your own beverages, we will be glad to supply you with some topics that we're going to talk about. So we thought we'd uh, talk a little bit about our careers today and uh, give brief thumbnail bios for each one of us. Michael? Yeah, I'll start. Um, well, I went to DeMatha Catholic High School, and I grew up in Chevrolet, Maryland, and I graduated from DeMatha in 1998, right? Now, does that sound right? Yes, it does. I can't believe I don't remember the year I graduated. I had to think about that. Um, and it was funny. I came to DeMatha like so many other students because I was going to be the next basketball star. But after freshman basketball tryouts, it became clear that God had another path for me. But what was funny is I remember when I got cut. And I went to the pay phones that used to be right yeah. there. And I called my dad. I said, Dad, I got cut. And he said, son, you can transfer. You can leave. The other school I was looking at was some school in Arundel County. I don't mm -hmm. want to mention its name. Um, but I had already in that short time kind of had experienced enough of the culture of the school mm -hmm. that I'm like, oh, Dad, let me give it a year. So I ended up staying here. Um, I played lacrosse while I was here, and I ended up playing JV basketball. Don't forget that. There's photographic evidence. There is. Of me. My nickname was Airball. I don't want to get into too many details, but I'm the only person in the history of DeMatho who shot an Airball brick <laughs> that was so powerful, it knocked off the bottom padding of the uh, basketball hoop, and they had to stop the game. <laughs> and when the the audience was silent, somebody said Airball, and it stuck with <laughs> me to this day. After that, I went to the University of Arizona where I studied political science and history with the idea of going to law school. But while I was at Arizona, 9-11 took place, and that kind of moved me more towards going deeper with my spirituality. And I thought, hey, I'm going to go. I'm going to be a pastor. I'm going to go to seminary. And I ended up going to Regent University and got a master's in theology and a master's in journalism. And after that, I needed a job. And that's how I ended up here. And I had been, I've been here now for – for 18 years, 19 years, I've taught English. I've taught history. I'm now the chair of the theology department. I had um, a master's in theology. And when I became Catholic, that's a big, big part I missed. I wasn't Catholic when I first started teaching at DeMatha, but through a lot of the relationships that I had at DeMatha, I entered in the Catholic church. And then later on, they said, hey, you know, it might be cool if you're part of the theology department. So I went back and I got a master's in philosophy from Holy Apostles College and Seminary. And now I teach senior theology and chair the department. And I love it. It's been fantastic. And it's been a great journey. I think one of the things that your story does is it reminds me of how you've brought together so many different strands and uh, threads. And I know you and I've had lots of talks before about uh, programs that would allow you to continue to pursue interests in counseling and in uh, 
scholarship in, yeah. in an important way to you and at the same time would allow you to do interdisciplinary things. And I've always admired that about your classes, which do not seem to come straight out of the uh, Ave Maria textbook series, and mm -hmm. which is nothing wrong with the people who do that. But I think the deliberate introduction of things like C.S. Lewis and Walker Percy and the use of multimedia to begin to think through how Christianity uh, comports itself in the modern world is really an important thing for our kids to see. That's nice of you to say, and that is something that I, I definitely um, I try to do. And, and the, the big question that I have at the beginning and the end of all my classes is I, I bring up the same topic over and over again. Is what does it mean to be human? Okay, what, what does that mean? And what does it mean to, to live well and be good? And <clears throat> that is much more a question of being and how one lives than what one knows. And I actually, I agree with Aquinas where you really don't, know something unless you can be something based on that knowledge. So I try to stay away from what I call um, Bible pop trivia. <laughs> and that's like a 150 multiple choice test. And what's the third book in the Old Testament? That kind of stuff doesn't interest me. No, no um, criticism of people who go that route. But I try to uh, ask big existential questions. I did that in lit. I did yeah. that to an extent in history. It was a little, yeah. I taught government, so we couldn't do it to the same extent. But teaching senior theology gives me this canvas where I, I can ask those questions. And um, I've been very fortunate to be at an institution that allows me to do that, the freedom to teach in that manner. Yeah. But how about you? Well, I grew up in the area also. I went to St. Camillus, about the same distance from here as uh, Chevrolet is from uh, where just in the opposite direction. And my parents didn't originally want me to go to DeMatha. I wanted to come because they had a soccer program and I'd been playing soccer as a kid and no other Catholic high school had one at the time oh, wow. or they were just starting them. And so, uh, but my dad was really good. He came with me and my parents, my dad's Jesuit educated, wanted me to go to Gonzaga. Uh, my mom thought St. John's would be a good place for me. Christian brothers are pretty famous and, and like that. But, uh, they they let me come and it was a great experience for me and uh, I met a couple of the most influential teachers of my life. Sometimes when I tell a story about coming to Damath, I I do point out that um, my grades were so bad that yeah. my parents would not let me get my driver's license, which was more <laughs> of a burden on them because I have four younger siblings and they certainly could have used the help carting people uh, around. Uh, my first girlfriend broke up with me. I had. Uh, as I said, academically, I was less – before I got cut from the baseball team, um, which I really loved baseball. No, I did get – but like you, there were all sorts of other wonderful things that yeah. happened. And I suppose that looking back, I could focus only on the things that didn't work out. And uh, that would be one way of looking at the world, but not a particularly satisfactory one. I went to Mount St. Mary's in Emmitsburg, and I made double majored in philosophy and English. And a little bit like you, I have a cross-disciplinary sense of mm -hmm. the way I think about the world. And also like you, I really think about big, the big questions. Yeah. That's what I'm interested in. When – because I was in philosophy and in English, literary criticism was a sort of obvious place to think about uh, doing my graduate work. But I found also like you, unless you could embody something, mm -hmm. it wasn't – as to me, 
as worth knowing. And so literary theory, which I could not translate into a high school sophomore class, was therefore not worth pursuing. So I became more interested in things like reader response, really thinking about how kids read and think. And uh, archetypal criticism and thinking about how the same myths and stories we tell over and over again, mm -hmm. in a way, a little bit like you, I'm interested in what makes us human and whether we approach that anthropologically or narratively. I think those are things that where you and I overlap uh, in in lots of ways. And so I was lucky. I got a job uh, teaching at uh, DeMatha in 1981. I had been at Notre Dame for graduate school in English, but I wanted to come back and get married. And John Moylan invited me in, offered me a job, um, which I took, very grateful for. And so for 16 years, I taught and was the English department chair for a good part of that time. And I went away for three years to work uh, as principal of an upper school in uh, Potomac, Maryland. It was a great experience. I learned a ton. And when the DeMatha job opened, that was really the only thing I would have left where I was because I really did love the people and I was doing good work there. And But when DeMath invited me to come back, I, I decided to do that. And uh, I've spent the last 24 years both teaching and, uh, and being the principal. And I will say that was the last thing before I signed the contract. I had to ask Father William, who was the then rector, I said – I really want to teach a class. Yeah. I said, I know John Boylan didn't, but I really want to teach one class a day. And he said, well, we really don't want you to. <laughs> uh, he said, we don't think the principal should should <clears throat> teach. And I said, I have to tell you, that's sort of a deal breaker for me. I really, I, I really need to do this. I, uh, I said, I think it will give me a kind of credibility. Anyway, he said, well, let me think about it for a day. And uh, the next day he called me back and said, sure, you can. And now that's been a tradition fun. at DeMatha for administrators. And is that how it started? Yes. That? So before that, that wasn't the case. Right. It was not the case. And But we've been very – you and I have been very fortunate. Uh, the assistant principals that we've had, yeah, uh, Sam Haller currently, Bill Clark currently, mm -hmm. and uh, Tom Burke before that, all teachers and all really gifted teachers too, people who love teaching. Um, I think that's really important to – when I was telling the students we were doing this, they saw the equipment on my desk and they said, what is this stuff? Mr. Toyman, are you a streamer? They thought I was a video game streamer. <laughs> and maybe I should hype up that story. That sure. Big time video game streamer. I said, no, I'm doing a podcast and I'm doing it with Dr. McMahon. And I had students that had you as a junior, right? Because uh, yeah, tour lit. And they said, oh, and they, they spoke very highly of your class. And they said, it makes sense that you two, you guys want to get together and talk about things. So I thought that was a, a good sign. You said something earlier on that really jumped out at me. I was not a great student either my junior and senior year. Uh, and the only AP that I knew was academic probation. Yeah. And I will never forget this one quick story. I um, Unfortunately, I was not always honest with my parents when it came to grades. Now, back in the day, before Veracross and updates, you could live this lie yes, you could. for a period of time. But then there was parent-teacher conferences. So um, <clears throat> that was when it was my uh, come-to-Jesus moment. And we went to see uh, Joe Carroll. And Joe Carroll and my dad and myself sat down. And you know when Joe Carroll starts off the parent-teacher conference with this, you're in trouble. And he looked at my father and he says, um, Mr. Tomey, your son is completely out of touch with reality. <laughs> um, and, Joe, and I always always remember that, that when Joe Carroll tells you that, 
you need to make some life adjustments because <laughs> I was, he was right. And yeah, but not, you don't always have to be a tremendous high school student to be a good teacher. And I caught the, the academic bug my freshman year of college. I had it at DeMatha mm-hmm. with guys like Buck Offit and um, Bill Kelly and yeah. Tim Kelly and other great teachers, but it really kind of started to, to play out in my studies at, at University of Arizona. But I find as a teacher, because I did struggle, I can relate to a lot of the students in a manner, maybe someone who couldn't, who was that 4.0 student. I agree with you completely. Uh, even though I was a much better student in college, having struggled and been disinterested and uh, gen- spacey, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I never give up on a kid because of that. I Because in part, I keep seeing myself in the in them and one uh, thing i always see is um when i was in high school i had a truck and i played lacrosse that's all i needed i didn't think about the next day i was worried about are we going to meet any girls this weekend um where's the next lacrosse game and Mm -hmm. i had a truck and i didn't think about the future and i guess in some ways that was good and then i was very very happy in the present but I now know that there are students where I'm going, what are you going to do with your life? Yeah. I'm thinking, if you would ask me that question in 1997, 1998, I would have said, well, I'm going to go in my truck <laughs> and I'm going to drive home. And then maybe I'm going to – I had a grill that I would grill in the bark back parking lot. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm going to make some food. That was the extent of how I was analyzing the future. And I have to remember that sometimes when I'm dealing with the kids. Yeah. I have the same uh, same sense when I'm, when I'm chatting with them. So tell me um, – from your first beginning teaching to current uh, teaching, what's the best thing that happened when you first started? What was the hardest thing that you found? And what was the most surprising thing that you that you found? And are, are those different now than they were yeah. 20 years ago? Well, I can say the best thing is easy. It's the interaction with the students. And the way I, I put it is this way. There's this video I once saw of, I don't know if it was Tom Brady or Joe Montana, some famous quarterback, and they were running on the field, and you could see they were so pumped, they were so invigorated to be on the field. The joy of my life has been interacting with the young men of DeMatha. I absolutely love it. And even when I'm going through tough things in my own life, I find the classroom to be my oasis, my escape from that, because I get to continually have that experience with the students, even from day one, even Mm -hmm. when I was I was trying to figure things out. That dynamic and that relational aspect about with the students and and being able to talk about really important ideas is something that I love. It's the best and it's better today than it's ever been. It's never gotten old. The hardest hmm. thing, the first year that I was teaching, I remember it was October and I thought I was going to have a nervous breakdown. Just the um keeping up with the grading staying yeah. one when you're when you're starting to teach a class for the first time you're basically building it as you go along so you're trying to stay one class in front of the students and that became very overwhelming when you're supposed to when you're teaching multiple classes and i remember there came a point in october i didn't think i was going to be able to to do this and rich machetsky was here at the time and he was he was my mentor and he said mike great teacher just give it some time you, you just got to get through this don't make any decisions right now when you're in the middle of it and I'm glad he he told me that because it did help me not abandon ship when I thought that I might. The most surprising um, thing as a teacher is I think this. We, we touched upon this in the last podcast. The impact that you think you're making with certain students or the impact you don't think that you're making right. 
And when they come back, the ones who do come back, you can maybe think that you were the guru to this individual student. And they might not remember your name when you see them at the mall in five years. I mean, that's kind of a outlier. But there's that student who might have sat in your class, you thought was sleeping, yeah. you thought wasn't listening. And they come back and they're enthusiastic. You just never know what's happening with within between the the two ears of that student. And I've always been surprised by that. I've been encouraged by it and discouraged by it. Yeah. But that's the most surprising thing. That element of of what's working. You can prep. You can spend yeah. hours prepping a lesson. You can go in there and you can think it's going to kill. And it's the worst lecture you ever gave. You can be up the whole night with a sick kid and you roll in the school and you're barely awake and you can give the best lecture of your life. So it's those interesting things that I think have been surprising to me. Yeah. I think uh, I remember the best thing was a lot like your best thing. There there was a magic and I knew I was at home when mm-hmm. I was in the classroom. And uh, that to me building those relationships and uh, and working with kids and helping them walk through texts that I had loved and had been important to me. That was just great. I mean, just a terrific uh, experience. The hardest thing was I did not, I, though I planned extensively, I didn't keep really good notes about mm-hmm. what I did year to year. So the next year when I had to do it again, I had no lecture notes that I'd written. I had no quizzes that I'd done. I had no, you know, now I'm a maniac for keeping uh, things. So in case I'm ever going to need them. And the most surprising thing for me is uh, it has changed over the years. The first year I taught, I was 21 years old. I had spent the summer doing a flat roof, uh hot tar flat roof. So you, you go up, you'd scrape the, oh. uh, uh, the stones off. You'd uh, have to lay down this fiberglass, uh, sort of um, flange uh, with aluminum over the sides of it. And then you'd they'd pump the hot tar up and you'd spread it around and you'd put the stones back and everything like that. It was brutal, grueling, disgusting work. And yet when I started teaching, I went home and took a nap every day <laughs> yeah. for the first month. I was so tired. Mm-hmm. I could not believe how tired I was. Now the thing that surprises me is, you're right, the students who I thought, uh, oh, I'm really getting through to this kid. And then they have no clue who you are. Even the next year, they see you in the <laughs> hall and they're like, wait a minute, do I, do I know you? And and on the other hand, kids you know, from 20 years later. And one of the things that I find really nice now is uh, I'm friends with several of my former students. And that there's something just terrific about uh, about that because you you're no longer in that teacher student relationship which you have to honor when you're here but once they're gone they should you can't make them dependent on you forever yeah i think that's a uh, i think some teachers like that because it's a kind of power i don't think you and i tend not to like that what we want to do is get past that uh, to the point where uh, we're more colleagues than we yeah, I love that too. I'm glad you you brought that up. There's nothing better when you're at church and you see one of your former students and um, he has a you know, young kid with him and yeah. just to see them go through life and to become the men that, yeah. that they've become, that that is a great thing. And I'm glad that I, I live in a proximity to enough of them to see that because mm-hmm. that might be the most rewarding thing yeah. um, as they become parts of their community and, and parts of um, just 
their families and, and giving that goodness to those around them. And and hopefully you maybe you had a little part of that when they yeah. were in your class and you, maybe a discussion you had or something you said pointed into that in direction. But it, again, I'm falling into teaching. It's been the joy of my life. Um, and it's always new. It's always fresh, but the relationships are what always come to the surface when I think about it. You know, back in the first episode, you, you said, uh, when talking about teaching, when the kid asks you, Hey, basically, are you brand new at this? Yeah. Right. Is that part of you was thinking, well, you know, I've coached a little bit. I've done this. And so I guess I'd like you to think a little bit about, because you've, you've coached here. Yeah. Sort of formally. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I know you've had to step away for a little bit. You have little kids. So I do. That, that doesn't really allow for that at this point of your, uh, of your life, but can you talk a little bit about how you see coaching and teaching and how those things interact with each other? Well, the kids, it's funny. You talk about students that are now adults. I coached JVB lacrosse and we were the bad news bears of DeMatha Catholic high school. And that group of students, uh, one of them being your, your son-in-law who is part of it. When I run into them, it's, it's like we went on this adventure together it's this fraternity, and if you experience JVB, um, it was amazing. And I am someone who is very supportive of sports. I actually don't like it when a teacher might sp speak um, low of sports because yeah. I think the education that's taking place when someone's part of a team and committed to a cause is actually in some ways greater than what's taking place in the classroom at times where yep. students just sitting at a desk and kind of receiving information. Um, so coaching to me, I, I consider myself more of a coach than a teacher. I really do. And my style is much more coaching than teaching because um, coaching, again, we were talking about this earlier. It's not about knowing. It's about being. Mm -hmm. I can wear the right basketball gear. I can tell you about every play. I yeah. can tell you about every Hall of Fame basketball player. But can I play basketball? And coaching is all about can you play basketball? And because I teach theology and I ask these existential questions, it's not about do you know all these these theological topics. It's how do I live? Do I do I know how to live like I, I believe God and God is good and I'm giving myself to this thing? And to me, coaching is much more determined – by who you are than an abstract idea of what you know. I loved coaching and I really hope one day I can, I can coach again because I think some of those are the best educational moments for myself <laughs> and for my players as I went through that. I, uh, I was fortunate to coach, uh, basketball here for five years in Morgan's program. I was an assistant all that time, uh, two years freshman, three years JV. And I loved that. It was a great for all the reasons that you, that you say the, you're, you're in a classroom that everybody has volunteered to go to, which is just a tremendous, and you get to really work with people to help them, to help them develop. And I think there's something heroic about it. If you define heroism as being willing to belong to something larger than yourself. Mm -hmm. And if you belong to a team, you automatically belong to something larger and you can't only think about yourself. And I think there's something just terrific about that. In fact, I, I do hope when, um, I'm no longer, uh, the principal, I hope I can go back and, you know, be the assistant JV or freshman soccer coach or something like that. Just again, you know, I, because you're right, you know, a little bit about the game. You'd like to teach that and pass that on, but it's about all these other wonderful 
things that you hope you can be with people, uh, accompany them. And yeah. I, I think you and I talk a lot about um, accompaniment uh, of uh, with students, and I think that's one of the reasons that we both had a fair amount of success with with kids is that they have a sense that we're journeying with them. Can you can you talk a little bit about how you approach that when you're doing a big existential question with with students? Well, I think when I there's a big existential question, I don't have a goal of where they're necessarily supposed to get. The goal is being reflective. The goal is is analyzing the question and how it applies to their life. People are in different journeys. People are are in different places of that journey. I respect their free will big time. And who wants to go on a journey with someone who is forced to go on that journey? I agree. And it's not going to work. And when you're talking about important things, you can never manipulate someone into believing something or manipulate someone into journeying with you. So you, you walk alongside them yes. and you start a conversation and you make a, a dialogue. And sometimes they're going to be more into that dialogue right. than, than other times. But to me, I have a very open-ended idea of where that that student is going to end up. I also, as a person of faith, trust that God mm-hmm. is more concerned with that than I am and is better suited to deal <laughs> with that than me. Um, so it's all about a journey. I'm on a journey as well as I as I change as a person throughout the school year and throughout my career at Dematha. And like a, a season, when you're a coach, you have this very definitive journey of your first game and your last game, and you see the transformation of the team, the connectedness of the team. That's what I try to recreate in the classroom. Yeah. I want there to be a shared experience on that last day that we all kind of sit and look at each other mm-hmm. and we have that look in our eye that we've experienced something significant that we'll take with us the rest of our lives. I love the metaphor of the journey. As you know, I spend a lot of time thinking about uh, pilgrimages. That's one of my go-to metaphors, and in part because I think that a pilgrimage, everyone goes on a pilgrimage expecting a metanoia to be spiritually changed. And I think that's that's a really significant – I expect that. I'm not sure my students do at the beginning, but that's part of what I'm hoping to convince them. And I think you know one of my other ones is I believe that really good teachers are Sherpas. Mm-hmm. Right? We've been on the journey up this particular mountain at this time, and so we know what equipment we need. We know how to prepare for the journey. We know how to – but finally, the student has to take the journey, and I agree with you absolutely. I think it is disrespectful as a human being to force people into a kind of belief. If people don't come of their free will – then we have cheated them. And I often say the easiest thing for a teacher to do is to render kids obedient. But that's not the same thing as teaching Mm -hmm. kids. And I think that's a really significant – if you can approach it with that spirit of freedom and joy, I think the phrase you've used before is uh, lots of these things can be caught they yeah. can't necessarily always be taught, or you certainly can't inflict them on somebody. Yeah, I think that in the educational experience in the classroom, there's a culture that they keep on bumping up against that they might not even be able to find the right words to describe it, but they right. know that they've been changed. I almost think that if you can overly quantify it and talk about it, I don't want to say that lessens it, but oh, I'm different. It's when you when you go okay. through a situation that you've been through in the past and you realize that you've been transformed, I think sometimes it takes place with a, with a 
a very limited knowledge of what's happening. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's been great and being coaches and teachers, and we have so many amazing people in this building yeah. that have so many different roles when it comes to journeying with the students on that, on that, that path as they, as they navigate through their education here at the math. Yeah. Well, as you know, high school is an awesome place because students come in and they're very young and we get a chance to really walk with them for four years that are, uh, represent, significant milestones culturally. They learn how to drive. They begin to shave. They, they choose a college major. I mean, all sorts of things like that that begin to happen. They can vote by the time they graduate. And those things are just super important. And we get to be with them at that, at that time of formation. And I think we'll wrap up there for today, Michael, and then we'll uh, see everybody back in the new year. That'll be uh, January 8th, I think, will be the next time uh, you'll hear us. And we might have a guest with us at that at that point. All right. Thanks again. Okay. Thanks, Michael.